0: Howdy, hi, hello, et cetera, and welcome to another episode of QBT, a podcast where two queer babes talk mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. This week, we are continuing our series introduced last week with Dr. Veronica E. Johnson. Go listen to that one right after this if you haven't heard it, on race, racism, and mental health. I am a clown demon, licensed social worker, and psychotherapist practicing in Austin, Texas, Maddie Germs.
1: And I'm Shawnee, a figment of your imagination, a former
0: NYC-based therapist turned
1: media and entertainment
0: badass. And Shawnee, before we get started today, I'm sorry to like take over this time, but I just want to say, fuck you, James Corden. You ugly ass, singing ass, fake gay ass, annoying ass, theater kid that didn't get cast in a single good (laughs) role in high school ass, (laughs) hip thrust and mouse ass. You owe me money for the mental duress you have caused me. And if I was the litigating type, I would sue your ass. I hate you, James Corden. Let's get started. And remember, we might be therapists, but we're not yo-therapists. Okay? Okay.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: okay. 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 Mm-hmm.
1: Try to talk slick. All up in my ear and shit. <laughs> um, okay. First of all, that was a beautiful piece of prose that you wrote about james corden james corden is not a beautiful you know piece of prose but what you wrote i mean i was watching y'all that was i mean it was all maddie but i was like watching him as he was just like spitting it off and i was like oh 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 good words i felt that
0: i hate that person okay what happened? What have we got? <laughs> what? Sup, I just...
1: Sup, slut. I, what happened?
0: <laughs> I mean, that person is just everywhere. They cast in got every goddamn movie. They're shitty. And they're the worst part of every movie that they're in. They're coming out with that new Cinderella fucking movie with Camila, whatever, like, soon.
1: in a Cinderella movie
0: yeah she's like singing new songs and on and honestly there was this video of them doing like a a flash mob stopping traffic and i'm just gonna tell you if i was the person that had been stopped in traffic because of those people there would have been homicides recorded my license plate would be everywhere because i would be the one that ran that motherfucker over not a fan
1: who's gonna be the prince is it gonna be a closeted gay man
0: I don't know about that, um, and you know, Billy <laughs> Porter is the fairy godmother, which, like, you know, good for her. I feel like she's gonna be really hindered by terrible writing. Mm,
1: yeah. I know, I know. I don't it like all, it. It's not it's sitting just, right.
0: It's just all cringe. It's all cringe. Anyway,
1: Sub-slut. What have we got for this week?
0: <laughs> like I, I'm done. I just got so mad before we got.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So coming off of last week's sub slut and last week's episode, I was thinking, and I was like, oh, well. I wonder if this is maybe true. I mean, I'd love to do like um, a poll. Maybe we'll put it up on Instagram or something. Okay. Um, But I wonder, like, did you become aware of your like racial identity first or your gender assigned, or your uh, assigned at gender or at birth gender, blah. Got myself tongue tied. Which one did gender you become aware of first? Um,
0: yeah. I mean, definitely for me, you know, I think it would be like my assigned maleness. I think for sure I, and, and maybe that's not even true. You know, I think we talked a little bit last week around like it's kind of fucked up that white people and me specifically don't always understand or remember when that kind of, you know, bippity boppity boot came to them. But, um, and part of that is because of the assumed normalness of who we are. Um, But I do have lots of memories. Honestly, one of my very first memories, I feel like I've told this on the podcast before, but if not, like, sorry. But honestly, one of my very first memories is being a young child going to a neighbor's house and, like, we were playing, I think it was a girl. Like, this is what's kind of foggy, but I remember the reaction, which was, we were playing dress-up or something and I had a dress on and I remember my dad like coming over and it was a bad and then i like got like pulled back we were in some apartment complex or something and i got like pulled back to our apartment and was like that is unacceptable you're a boy like boys don't do that and i had to have been like three maybe four like this is like one of like these like early early like locked in memories of just like that's not you bitch but Hmm. um Yeah, I mean, I feel, you know, as a white person, my, my gender, both in what I gained as like the someone being male or performing maleness is absolutely something that I paid more attention to for most of my life before my race. Um, And then... I feel like now I, I it's hard for me to think about my gender without thinking about my race and thinking about mm. how those things are really intertwined both in how I experience the world internally and how the world sees me like those are two very different things and thinking about like who I relate to and that kind of thing. I mean, when I'm thinking about gender and race too this question kind of came up for us last week when we stopped recording and we were talking with Allie about, you know, how she was naming just kind of answering the question with us around like seeing her womanhood before she saw her whiteness and understand. And we were mm. talking sort of glibly, but also, you know, we were just kind of getting off the call about like obviously that's how white womanhood comes to be because like in in certain ways that is uh, white feminism comes to be is in certain ways like gender is so policed and gender is so enforced across all races, but then the, the what breaks down and what's different. Is the ways in which those races and across gender experience that thing, right? Like, what black women experience a very different thing than white women, but they also experience Correct. things specifically because they're women.
1: Right, 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 right. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. About which I mean, I think I I think I was I became aware of my my gender uh, first. I'm trying to think of anything otherwise. But no, I mean, yeah, probably for the exact same, well, not the same reasons as you. That's not the first, ex- that's not the experience I had. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. I remember this probably ties in a lot with, you know, sexuality and, you know, all that good stuff. But I remember putting on my, it was just like, oh no, Alexa. Unplugged. Oh my Did God. Did Jeff
0: Bezos pay for that?
1: um yeah he did okay well then it's fine (laughs) oh you were looking at my crush just now sorry um so yeah i feel like okay so when i was younger i remember very distinctly it was either my grandmother's perfume or my mom's perfume but i was like in it (laughs) and i remember my grandmother was like no like that's for women and then like Don't be near the makeup either. Like a very like, that's not what you... This isn't an area you're supposed to be in or be around. Um, I also remember she had a statue in her home of like... a It was like of a male. And it was like, you know, the male anatomy. Like his dick was there. And I was like... (laughs) fascinated with it and my grandmother would always be like leave that alone like stop being weird and i would Mm. just be like okay and i mean that's all tied to i guess like gender and what it means to be a man like culturally you shouldn't be into dicks and you shouldn't like be into women's things but i don't know it also just like taught me that there, are, that there are these restrictions around what I am supposed to do and not supposed to do. And I right. I do feel like that transcended race a lot of times, sometimes, like, granted, yes, my experience is different from yours, but there are things when it comes to that broader um, box of toxic, like, masculinity that we all sort of fall into. There's still this, like, don't be emotional. Like, there are very few cultures or races, I feel like, where that's, like... A good thing or sup- it's supposed to be what like a man displays,
0: you mm. know? It's, yeah, I think especially in Western culture. And I think this conversation, the reason I think we wanted to bring it up was because like while we can have an, a conversation around like when did you recognize your race for for the first time? And in a lot of ways, gender, sexuality, race, these sort of categories that were put into are things that sort of get revealed to us maybe over time, but they're also so connected. And the older we get, the more connected that we realize that they are, especially when you are an adult talking about these experiences with other people across difference, you recognize like other people that holds very similar identities to you experience something very different because of their race or experience something very different because of their gender or experience something very different because of their sexuality. And like, these are maybe obvious things, things,
1: through. I mean, I look at it as looking at things through a lens, right? Like, the example I just gave, right? The display of emotion being something that, at least across most, like, Western cultures, is, like, Mm -hmm. not a good thing, especially, like, any race, any man, I would say. But then when you start to look at that through the lens of, like each race it's like well you have to examine what is actually like what's emotional what's actually seen as emotional like is it a staunch don't show anything like is it a you're allowed to show excitement is it like anger is good you know like there's and there's things obviously connected to um the broader racist culture when you when you're looking at it that way
0: absolutely because especially within black culture and especially within black men there was like you know this movement to emasculate the black men because of the fear of what they would do to our white women right mm-hmm. and and how that emotionality was stripped away from the cultures where they originate right like so it's like not only acknowledging history but then acknowledging like the active role that white people played in oppressing that emotionality and then how that shows up for you as a little black boy in the late 80s early 90s you know what i mean like mm-hmm. those are like those are a all things that be. Like,
1: huh I said, you better know I'm an 80s baby.
0: Well, I didn't want to like, you know, reveal just to, kind of like, you know, I go to give some of you the bit of the doubt. I am
1: 23. Like, oh. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have another question for you. Oh no. Okay. Are you ready? Maybe. No, I shouldn't ask it. It's divisive. I mean It's divisive. I if you could change your race, would you? Oh. <laughs> You don't have to actually answer it. Don't answer it. Oh my god! Don't answer it. I don't want to. I do not want to be on CNN. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I
0: don't think you're gonna be on CNN. I think that um, I think the question is, uh, it's you know, it's it's interesting, and I'm sure li- listeners are gonna be like, Ugh, like because um, yeah,
1: it was meant to get y'all thinking, not for um, us to answer.
0: <laughs> you, so answer you don't it. want me. You, I just want to make sure you don't want me to. Answer. You can
1: you can answer it when we're not recorded. Wow. Okay. All right. I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to have to fight you on the podcast.
0: Um, I don't think you would fight me. I think, you know, wow. All right. So (laughs) this question is honestly, this question is used. It was used like by that woman. I'm sure you've seen that those videos of that woman who like is in that class and she's like the blue eyes and brown eyes and like it's used as like, um, do you know what I'm talking about? She like teaches. Like racism, and there was this class from a while ago, and she like divided these all these white kids into blue eyes and brown eyes, and then started like telling yes, them. Yes, that, yes, like, okay. yes, yes, yes. So anyway, that same woman, who I'm sorry I can't remember her name, but like she's a white woman getting credit for like. Sorry to that stuff. white
1: woman. I saw exactly. on the Street,
0: but something that she, in her lexer, lectures that she's done in like sort of like trying to teach racism or like teach about racism and like the effects of white supremacy in this country is like she asked this question at the end of like, okay, you know. Everyone who says they're not racist, would you be black? Like, would you choose to be black if you could? And like all these hands go down. And then she's like, that's the point. The point is that you recognize in this moment that it is harder to be black in America than it is to not. And so that is, if you don't want to have all these conversations about economics and the history of slavery and whatever, you can at least at this most basic level recognize that it's a different experience. You know what Mm. I mean?
1: Um, (coughs) So what you're saying is you don't want to be black.
0: That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if I said <laughs> that, it's like full Rachel Dolezal moment, and then it's just like you know, like we can't go there. Um, we can't
1: go there. We can't go there. Nope.
0: No. Um. I don't know what you want to say. All right. Let's and <laughs> what <up> about it? <laughs> I mean, I an easy... your answer is no. But I
1: that I wouldn't change races. Yeah. I mean, for like a day, if I could be a white man, like absolutely.
0: Like yeah. I, mean, I want to see what if, that's if about. I'm given the option of like changing all the time, like. I feel like I'd try it all on. Like, what's yeah. going on? Like, that's, I'm just curious. Well, personally. then the question not, like,
1: becomes, which one do you stay at the longest? Stay as well, long as... Because I'm fully what's-her-face from um, Lovecraft Country. <laughs> the sister.
0: The pulling, zipping up that, you know, she... All um, oh, my burst words. out of that skin. skin yeah, suit. you. <laughs>
1: yeah. I saw every word in the American dictionary Come to my list, but
0: not leave it, yeah.
1: All condensed into one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh my God. I loved that sequence of her like falling out of that skin. It was so
1: fucking yeah. beautiful.
0: I'm so excited. Have you seen Candyman?
1: Um, I have not, but I'm trying to see it this week or maybe when okay. Carlos is back. I don't know. I got to figure it out, but soon.
0: <laughs> okay. I. If you have to wait until Carlos gets back, that's fine, but just lie and go see it again because I want <laughs> you to watch it this week so that we can talk about it on Sub Slut next week. I really okay. think... I have so many thoughts. I'm afraid I'm going to lose them if we wait another week, but i went to go see it and I want you to see it. Oh my God. Are um, so we, we interviewing
1: we the the main character next week? Is that why you want it to be the sub I
0: no. I just, I, I think it's like a very important, like Ugh. modern, like, okay. you know, I wish that man, Yaya. You been,
1: listen, you've been killing it at the bookend. So I'm just saying, Hey, we
0: do have a wonderful guest next week. Um, but, uh, Yaya, what's his name? Yaya. Uh,
1: I love that you have to distinguish Yayas now because there's Yaya from top model, and now there's this Yaya.
0: Yaya Abdul Mateen, the second, the second, the second um,
1: of his of his name.
0: Yeah. I think um it just is a very relevant conversation and comment on race in America and gentrification, etc. 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 And it builds on what the anyway. I'm not going to do this. I want okay. to you to see it. We'll talk about it and later. it
1: was and it was directed by a black woman.
0: Yeah. Um. And they it. had like an amazing uh, opening weekend. I think she did like 22 million. It's like her nice. largest opening volume, and it was only a 25 million budget. So like they're already like she's good. They're good. Yeah. I'm really love, really excited love, for love, her love. and this movie. I have some thoughts, but in general, I walked away feeling like yes, love it. Um. Nice.
1: You know what? I have also, some thoughts on no
0: what. Very Little Thoughts.
1: <laughs> this what? Kanye album. Very Little uh, Thoughts, but thoughts nonetheless.
0: Yeah, donda this, donda that, donda <clears throat> is done my care for this album. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> I haven't I mean I haven't
1: listened to the whole thing cuz it's like 35 tracks. So like I don't understand. I just don't need that much of anything. Of anything. Anybody's music. Yeah. Peep, don't need it. I wouldn't yeah. want it. Beyonce, even I'd be like, "Listen, sis, give me two, give me, give me two, give me two to thirty, I'll take it." But like thirty-five, come on. Um, And I also don't, I don't know. They're just kind of there so far. I think I like, I think I like half of one song of the. I think I've made it up to like track six or seven.
0: There's a part of me that was so excited to see kind of what he was going to do post the red hat maga shit, post the divorce post all of this shit. And then at this like release party, he brings out Marilyn Manson and DaBaby. Like only, basically in my opinion, like R. Kelly would have been there too if he wasn't in prison. Like the point was to shock and to stand in solidarity with abusers. And I just like, on a album dedicated to your fucking mother, you're going to come out here and bring people known for hurting women. Like what the fuck is up with that? There's barely any women features on this album too. I just like, I don't understand how this man has like continued over and over and over again to almost get number ones again. And I am not someone who like does not like Kanye West because he got on stage with Taylor Swift. I thought that was one of the best things he ever fucking did. But like, I like, just don't, I don't get this shit. I don't get it. What was that song that you kind of liked?
1: Um, uh, I, I think it was okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay 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 i don't know donda's there i'll probably make it through because like i'm gonna listen i've listened to like all the kanye albums because i mean artistry wise he's got it you know but i just he is a person as an artist sometimes i'm just like i can't deal with it but i i know how to separate the two but truly the last three albums i could have done without um so we'll see how donda finishes out but as of right now it just is music that's there you know what I do want to talk about, though, that I almost completely forgot to mention is there is... I mean, it's not Kendrick's song. It's Baby Keem, but Kendrick's on it. And literally just two days ago, or on Friday, actually, when this came out, I was like, where's Kendrick Lamar at? Like, where has he been? Like, I don't... I need an album. And Family Ties. Family Ties comes out, yeah, by Baby Keem. And, I mean, the Baby Keem part, I don't dislike. It's just kind of like... Uh, he raps a little whiny, it feels like, so I don't like I don't like his voice, but I like what he's saying, and then Kendrick okay. comes in just doing what Kendrick does, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot how much I like love him. Kendrick Lamar.
0: I oh. think I saw a clip of this on Twitter, and it was good, but I didn't know where it was from. I honestly think I thought it was from Donda, and that's why I didn't click oh, on I didn't know there but...
1: was a video. I just like saw it on what you more
0: caught cool. I'm going to dive I'm into this in a minute. Um, what else, what else, what else, what else, what else? Oh, I mean, honestly, I think that you and I had prepared ourselves to talk about OnlyFans, and I basically just like, they banned sexually explicit content and really it was like penetrative content specifically. They were going to take that away in October. And then literally everyone was like one, what the fuck? And then Mm -hmm. especially a lot of activists and content creators were like, we are your platform. And so they rolled it back. They're like, LOL, sorry. Um, I do think that this speaks to this larger thing, though, around this fake concern for child traffickers. I think the same thing kind of came up with that iPhone thing that's supposed to come out like or is a, a a feature that is pitched where they will be able to screen messages and if there's child pornography, they will flag it. Or if you're underage, mm. they will re- send a report to your parents that you are sending child pornography back and forth or there's mm. child pornography on your phone. And it's just like this hyper-policing. Yeah. I know, yeah. I know. This, this I, hyper-policing oh. is not something that I welcome. And that is to not, that is obviously not to say yay child pornography, but I think that there's a whole lot of people ashton kutcher being fucking one of them using and christians do this shit too where they use this idea of um child trafficking and horrible things that happen to children and child pornography as this sort of flag of like look what we're trying to protect when what they're really doing is trying to wipe sex from the internet sex made the internet y'all the internet exists because the Government wanted to bomb people and people wanted it to jack off like that's why the internet exists <laughs> yeah. like and so we've seen over and over and over and over and over sex workers build up a platform give it Google image images being one of them uh, build up a platform and then get kicked off the moment that those folks go public and make money and part of that is about banks part of that is about. Um, where finances come from and what they want to be legally tied up. But you can log into a porn site and put in your credit card information. You can do all of this stuff already. The fact that they're hiding behind what funders want to get behind or whatever, it's because we live in such a sex-phobic economy that is just like so annoying. But sex work is work. And I just... OnlyFans, I fear it's, is kind of just the start of this thing that mm-hmm. is going to be... People are just mad that women and gay people and these other people are fucking finally taking control of the thing that has exploited them for years and years and years and years and years. They're finally saying, you know what, I'm going to buy myself a million dollar house because I can because people are jacking off to me and my big juicy titties and my wet pussy and not you, Lloyd, who lives in a fucking basement ass trying to like sell porn VHSs since the 90s like you're angry that i'm taking ownership of my own body and getting people to pay me for that directly to me as opposed to like three men in between me and that money like people are mad that that's happening and like part of that is about like how we wash money and how we make things valid by having it go through enough channels but just like Ugh, fuck OnlyFans. And I it's sad because you can't really just jump to Just for Fans because they take an even larger percent. I think OnlyFans takes like 20%, Just for Fans was taking like 30%. It's just like Wasn't the same thinking
1: around Tumblr?
0: Yeah. Who who has a Tumblr now? And if they do, I mean, is it trafficked? Like it might even be for personal use, but is it like used in the same way? No, no one's on Tumblr. Like, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Pinterest already existed. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Pinterest yeah. already was a thing. Why did, whatever, whatever. Um, We kind of rushed through this, but I, I just want to name too that obviously this week, Hurricane Ida touched um, ground in NOLA. And while we are seeing that it is not supposed to be this sort of quote unquote next Katrina or whatever, there's obviously still a lot of folks dealing with a loss of power, dealing with um, potentially loss of lice, loss of life and, and lost property and, and um, horrible things related to natural disasters. We also had Hurricane Nora in Mexico touchdown too. Um, and I just think that as we're seeing, seeing climate disaster and climate change happen, we need to keep in mind that like, this isn't a time to shame people who didn't evacuate. Um, a lot of people don't evacuate because they don't have the resources to evacuate. Um, there's also a lack of information that sometimes happens like that is disseminated and that is a race issue that public Mm. policy around climate change and around how we handle these issues is a race issue climate issues are not just like for white people hippies who like live in tents to talk about and like you know recycling is good climate change and uh how that affects especially low-income folks of color is a public policy issue that is determined by race and who you vote for. And these things are always going to affect low-income folks and low-income folks of color disproportionately, because who has the resources to rebuild? Who has the resources to fucking go somewhere? Mm. Who has friends somewhere else? Like, I just, i was seeing a lot of fucking bullshit online of like, how could they be so stupid to not leave and yada, yada, yada. And it's just like, bitch, you get put in the same position. Tell me what you did. Like, fuck
1: off. And that just sounds like privilege asking that question. Um, yeah. I don't know. And it's it's all just indicative of the, of the capitalist culture and society that we live in as well. I mean, it's, I was just talking um, to Carlos this weekend about this. I was like, these natural disasters happen. And this country, I mean, if you really think about it, like it's built off of so many natural disasters and people coming in and just like raking in the money, like associated with it yeah um i mean vanport here in portland i just i mean there's theories about 9 11. um i have had somebody like recommend to me investing in like a bunch of different like construction companies and like a specific kind of material um that was needed to rebuild homes like after a hurricane and it just it Mm -hmm. kind of felt icky it's like, oh, I'm profiting wow. off of the need of these people to rebuild their homes. And oh this is like God. one of the necessary materials to do it, so let me that's get a so cut gross. of that, you know?
0: Yeah. Damn, that's so gross. Um, I, wow, I'm literally so angry someone said it to you. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I and get mir- it, Because they're about their
1: money. Like,
0: <laughs> right, that's a very San Francisco thing to say. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I just want to shout out before we go um, reservation dogs on FX and Hulu is like, it's basically like a hangout comedy. It's a young, it's a group of young people um, that are essentially trying to get out of Oklahoma and they want to get to California. Um, It's led by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi, um, but it is about a group of indigenous folks um, who are on the res adjacent sort of um and it's a kind of like slice of life thing i do want to let everyone know that i think you need to give it a couple episodes but they're only 30 minutes long it's on fx and hulu um just watch it it's so good i i love that it doesn't do the thing where it's like hello white people here's the information you need to understand this joke it just tells a joke and moves on and if you get it you get it and if you don't sorry but like context clues and also this isn't for you but all the writers are native or indigenous one of those folks is tommy pico from uh poetry and also from food for thought um but it's it's so good it's like finally this um indigenous comedy written for and by folks it just it has a different like sort of um offering onto what it's sort of selling it's not selling this sort of like let's make this palatable to a certain audience it's just like this is for us and if you laugh too great like and i love that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. in the same vein there's this podcast called this land which is a more serious thing, but it's, uh, I just started listening to season two and her host Rebecca Nagel is reporting on how the far right is using native children to attack Indian tribes and advance a conservative agenda. It specifically follows this case of this white family who wants to adopt a native child and then they can't, or they do, and they're trying to sue for why they couldn't in the first place because of the, um, this child act that allows native Uh, communities to decide where native children go first and it prioritizes white people last and that makes white people crazy. Um, So the podcast is This Land. It's really beautiful storytelling and really wonderful um, information around um, what's happening in our legislative system. I think it breaks it down in a way that makes it really digestible for me to understand because I have a hard time just sitting down and reading, you know, lots of articles around this issue. But Season two of This Land by Rebecca Nagel. It's good as shit. Um, before we go, I just want to say on September third, watch Brandy Cilera- Cinderella on Disney Plus instead of that Camilla bullshit. Fuck that shit. Uh, let's tank those numbers and let's get Brandy's um, Whitney Houston Cinderella mm-hmm. back up to the charts because Brandy deserves. She does. She does. She you want to take does. a break? Yeah, let's take
1: a break and then, you know, get into it with the race and the racism
0: and mental health. Oh yeah, and that too. <laughs> We just missed a Burt from me. But, I know. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, as we get into the work today, we are continuing our series on the intersections of race, racism, and mental health. This week, it's just us. Um, I think that, Shawnee, you and I have both spent... Several episodes throughout season one, especially, I think some of the first stuff you mentioned, like when we first hit record episode one, we're like, well, as a black person, yeah. you know, like, the, like, that was like where we kind of started this podcast. But I think it was important for us as we encountered clinicians and other personal stories on this series for us to kind of just like talk a little bit about our interactions with race and racism and mental health and maybe throw some like data points in there. But to start, Shawnee... I'm curious, um, how has the impacts of racism shown up within your own mental health journey?
1: Everywhere, pervasively, yeah. throughout. Um, yeah. I, I think that one of the reasons me finding a Black therapist in Portland meant so much to me, and that first, our very first session and in interaction, the whole reason I was there was because of the impact of racism,
0: like in my life. So that you literally know? was like what took you to therapy. Was yeah. like this shit is hurting me so much. Help me. Yeah. And it was
1: it wasn't even well, yes, help me. It was absolutely help me. Um help yeah. me because I don't have anybody else that like gets this shit. Like And not even if they need to but like i just need to like let it out um and that was part of what our bond was i mean it was it was definitely a thing where in those first i think 10 minutes with her the tears came she was like finishing my statements like she just knew everything right off the bat and for me that just goes to show this uh this like interconnected i mean yeah probably generational just like what racism has done to black people and the connection we feel with each other because of that that doesn't need to be verbalized that even when verbalized it's like I can finish your statement you can finish mine like having that shared sort of traumatic experience from like birth it I mean it absolutely affects the way that you process things in the world that you see everything I mean it's the reason why for me I got into an argument with somebody about this a few weeks ago, but it's like everything. I'm going to look at everything through the lens of race, period. Like you mm-hmm. can't, yes, something can be bad, but like, I'm still going to put the lens of race over it. Something can be great. I'm going to put the the lens of race over it. Like I have mm-hmm. to, like, that's what this country has taught me to do. It's, mm-hmm. what just, it's what it's taught all of you to do, whether you want to admit it or not. Like mm-hmm. you're looking at everything through a racial lens. You just maybe aren't aware of it so for me it's like and i have to i have to for my survival so when you start getting into the things when you start getting into everyday decisions being life or death decisions for me and for you it's just another day you know it's like think about the difference in how you learn to care for yourself and how you learn to like reach out for care like how you experience those things and process those things. And you know, it's hard sometimes to do without getting super frustrated because what for me is such a everyday blatant, like consciously aware thing that I'm doing. Like I'm not ever, I don't know. Like I I don't walk into a retail store with my hands like purposely, like behind my back, like accidentally. Like, yeah, it's kind of ingrained in me, but I'm also aware that I'm doing it, you know, because I don't want anybody to question, like, whether I'm picking something up or, like, taking it or doing something weird
0: with it. You're saying you, know? you, put, it, you put your hands behind your back? Yeah. Okay.
1: Because, I don't know, it's like, what are they going to do back there, you know? Like, you have to. you don't have to pay as much attention to me, like, in your store thinking I might be trying to steal something. And that's just, like, a very simple, like... Are like white people doing that? Like probably yeah. not. Not even something you even like think about, you know, but I'm like, I have to appear as though I'm not here like to cause any trouble like right.
0: all the time. It's just like one baby tiny example, which like I'm, I'm hearing some some pain in that answer too, but it's, it's also like sort of insignificant and just like, oh, this is just what I do of ways that you have to disconnect from your spirit. You know, mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. disconnect from who you are as a person to appease the visuals of who you are as a person
1: yeah (laughs) it's exactly that and i mean it's why i mean and then it's this weird thing like it plays within itself within the race because you know you're you have to be so worried about i don't want to say reputation or like looks but like to your point about like what your external self is doing all the time um That I don't know. It it plays within itself within with at least within being black, like within within itself. Like I don't know. It's like I'm paying attention to that in the external world, but then it's like I'm doing it within the race as well, which then turns into a discussion around like you know the resistance to therapy and the resistance to taking care of one's mental health and like how are you perceived when you're doing that within Black culture. Maybe not so much recently. I do feel like I've seen a lot more um, positive messaging around therapy and, like, you know, doing things to protect your your well-being and mental health, like, within the, uh, within the Black community. But, but that's so recent. It's so, I mean, like, over the last year recent, in yeah. my experience. So, but everything before that, before recently, has very much so been, like, how do i take care of myself and my mental health because of what generations of trauma have like done to my people while yeah. also <laughs> like belonging to this group of people that sometimes many times look at that as like a weakness it's like a balance that mm. that you have to do and then what does that do to your mental health right so to answer your question like racism and everything that it is like the The balances that it requires me to strike daily, like does a lot to my mental health because to your point, like I don't, I'm only my authentic self in my home and like in my home by myself or in my home, like with my family, like truly, 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 if I'm going to get down to like the nitty gritty, like that's when I'm probably my most 100% authentic
0: self. Um, And I I think that, you know, we all to some extent have some versions of ourselves out in the world for various protective reasons. But what I'm hearing you say and what I am understanding from other people's experiences that are not just yours, as well as my own in a different way in regards to like gender and queerness is that like, unless you have some sort of punishment or fear of punishment, even you don't even have to have experienced the punishment or the Mm -hmm. bashing or whatever, you know that that's out there. You know that there's a threat of it and that impacts your body, that impacts how you react to things, that impacts how you go into the world because you have to sort of view yourself like a third person, like you have to watch your own self from, so that sort of develops sometimes this internalized narrator of like, you don't need to do that or you shouldn't do that or you can't do that or watch out, don't do that. Because which and it's this split thing that simultaneously this beautiful gift that our bodies and our brains have given ourselves to stay alive. Like, thank you, body. Thank you, mind. Thank you, spirit for giving me the ability to like navigate spaces safely. And also fuck that. Like, it's so sad. It's so fucking sad that we have to sort of like distrust what is natural to us. And obviously I'm using the word us and I'm not saying that I am a person of color but i am naming the experience and the connected experience i think a little bit of like what it means to have to like monitor and separate desire and intention from action
1: yeah which you know is when if you we can talk about the intersectionality of all of that like you couple being black and what you face from the external world and sometimes from your own, um, people, like you take that and then you throw being queer on top of it. And it's like, or not even on top of it. They just like cross the same plane in many ways. And then in many ways they do not. Um, but I mean, there's definitely some, some parallels there. Like just as much as I have to have to and had to self monitor myself, um, In retail stores or when police are around or when I'm in certain situations, same goes like for being queer. Like there was a time and still is many times where I'm like, I have to be aware of these things and it's a life-saving thing or it's a survival thing or it's just a, this is what's more socially acceptable and maybe like, I'm not going to die because of this, but the fear of of ostracization, mm, I got through that word. Mm-hmm. Um, beautifully, is enough like for me to say, No, like, let me deny my these parts of myself, or let right. me not do this thing that that feels that is a normal, natural thing that my body feels to do that is not wrong or right in any way, shape, or form. It's right. just a behavior. Um, yeah, it's
0: something that I think that you've talked extensively on this podcast before, but I'm I think it's interesting to bring it up in this moment of like the ways in which perfectionism and the ways in which this lack of option of failure specifically for you as a black queer male is like something that is simultaneously something you should be proud of right like you are very good at your job you are very good at being a friend you are very good at x and Mm -hmm. that is pressure that you put upon yourself in order to like fucking not deal with other people's Read white people's bullshit, you know, like, <laughs> like, oh and God, that's David. like, that's this simultaneous. con I mean, we can obviously get into Du Bois' double consciousness and, like, you know, but I don't even think we have to because I think it's permeated the culture enough to, like, you better know understand. about Du Bois. Yes, me, but like, you know, I just think <laughs> it's like, there's something about how that is a gift and also this thing that I hope and leads to my question in therapy is able to be parsed apart a little bit and like dug in a little bit in safe ways that allow you to figure out like, what does Shawnee need to actually get through and not in a way that is just like made it another day, but like Mm -hmm. how do we wake up in 10 years and be at peace with ourselves? Like what does that peace towards wellness look like? Because if, if, uh, if an event or series of events or what you were dealing with brought you to therapy, what are some things that you've experienced with therapists or with friends or with other folks that have sort of allowed you to look at some behaviors that you've had that are like, Oh, that's the, not the nicest thing that I can offer myself.
1: Does that question uh, make sense? Kind of. What have, what have I learned in therapy and applied to my life to sort of help you? There with we go.
0: That's a much better way to say person. it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I love a summary. Um, mm. Yeah. Sorry. I, I mean, number one, it's, it's. Hmm. I'm going to say boundary setting in a way that, I mean, boundary setting was sort of the the first step in like opening up this world of what I think the real answer here is like taking up space and just mm-hmm. like being okay with it um, and being okay with just like, <laughs> so cliche what I'm about to say, being okay with being myself, um, but like truly like just cool. This is who I am. Like, and I... And not every situation is dire or, like, life-threatening. And learning to, like, become aware of those things. And, like, what do I need to do to become aware of those things? Okay, now that I'm aware of those things, like, what choices am I making? Okay, cool. Like, was that Nikki choice? Now, like, are you going to choose to make that choice again just because it was, like, it didn't feel right? Or, like, go right back to what you were doing before? So it's been, like, a like a putting down of boundaries with the external world to sort of like protect myself as I explore these new ways of being me that aren't new, these natural and authentic ways of being me.
0: And, and like, I, you know, you're saying it sounds cliche, but like, I think in a world where, especially a mental health world where like black men are four times more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, or there's like, I think it's something like eighty something percent practitioners are white. Like, oh yeah, there's and that many more statistics that are related to the stress of racism that lead to anxiety and depression. Like, there are there are uh, scholarly articles that I can link you to about these things. This isn't just like <laughs> narrative, but like that's actual. That's actually profound, Shawnee. Like this idea of like I get to be me. It like it sounds pithier cliche for someone who like their version of me de- dependent on like the world mm. around them is like i don't know uh pink hair or something like that <laughs> yeah, like, yeah yeah uh, okay girl yay be you uh, oh, a gr- yes. gr- girl can be you know men too <laughs> but like but yeah. like when when you're saying like i get to be me in that like i'm subverting the the narrator and the surveyor and the spy and the oppressor that is around me Mm -hmm. outside when i'm subverting that from my internal psyche and i'm allowing myself to be me one that is hard fucking work and then two that is absolutely something to be proud of and not it to me does not fall into the realm of cliche because it is difficult and it (laughs) is and it is profound it's majestic it's divine you know
1: well, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's all tied to race. I don't know, and I also think that with that subverting of the narrator and that sort of of the oppressor and all the you know all these other voices in my head, uh, it kind of also speaks to what Dr. Veronica Johnson was saying last week, which is, you know. Internalized homophobia, like racism, like all that stuff exists within me, just like it exists within all of us. And subverting that narrator does not mean like shutting up the person that's being homophobic. (laughs) It's more so like, okay, like I can comfortably examine that stuff now in a safe space, like whether that's in therapy or with myself, because. I don't know like i feel comfortable doing that because i'm being myself right now i'm not i don't know it's not coming from a fake place if that makes sense i think what i'm getting at here is sort of the um oh my god in kendrick lamar's song that we were just talking about earlier like he says something about like overnight activists and i'm just like oh it's like Mm. that like i like let me be real with it not just like say that's what it is but i'm doing no actual work on it at all
0: right you know and like you're offering that as a way that you're experiencing that as a black person in this country. And like when I heard that clip and that line, you know, I'm thinking about that from a white perspective and what it means for my community to have found value in, in especially cultural value and social capital in being woke in terrible (laughs) quotes in being anti-capitalist in being anti-racist in being anti-racist to the point that like t-shirts are selling out and white people are making money off of black pain like in the way that like we have simultaneously doing
1: it again you're doing it again again
0: and that that tiktok trend last year of like that like tearful song over do you know what i'm talking about there was like this sad song and it was like the names of like, uh, you know, say their name or whatever and black people just sort of like raising a fist like I'll be brave. Like, right. I, I don't right. know if you know what this TikTok trend, but it was a trend. Yeah. And I'm saying that, like, as white people, we sort of have to literally sit with the cultural value of going against the trend or of going against the thing that we have inherited as truth. Whether or not we want to admit it, we have inherited this truth that we are better than black people than we mm-hmm. are better than folks of color like And that isn't because our mama like held us and rocked us and said, now don't like, you know, like, yeah, always know that this is true for you, baby. Like, you are better than everyone else. Like, that isn't exactly how people experience it. And because they don't experience it in that sort of like movie version villain way, they're like, well, that's not me or that can't be me. But, Mm. you know, I was just recently listening to. Um, or reading in quotes, (laughs) James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time, which there is actually, I paid for it, but there's a full audio on YouTube. It's like two hour listen. You can absolutely just like bust it out. Um, It's just two essays. One is a essay where he writes to his nephew. um, And then the other is about his experience um, and specifically his experience looking at the Christian church and then also the... um, the Muslim, the like black Muslim movement and like the black economy. And like, cause like he was sort of famously not like in opposition to Malcolm X, but they were like put on TV as like sort of opposite ends of the same spectrum. Yeah. yeah um, it's Yeah, exactly. But like <laughs> he goes into why he like loves Malcolm and also why he thinks like that movement has flaws and like it's related to the Christian church and it's related to this idea. <sighs> that we find narratives that work for us for survival. And we find things that give us hope. We find things that bring us life. And the idea of humanity across humanity is that death is so fucking scary. And I think, Mm -hmm. like, a lot of therapy is honestly just, like, coming to terms with the fact that, like, death is going to happen and that's where anxiety is related to and, like, how do we still make lives worth living, right? It's the
1: only guaranteed
0: thing in life, period. Like, It's the only guarantee. And, like, there's, like, a really, you know, wonderful, famous quote around, like, we have to sort of... uh, White people especially deny the fact of death and in order to deny the fact of death, they, like... Dip into this idea of greatness over others. And there's plenty of things within this series of essays that really resonate, sadly, still today. There's also some things that I think uh, lets white people off the hook a little bit because of the ways around like education and like what they know and all that. I think we're a little bit past some of those things. But there is this idea of love. There's this idea of facing death. There's this idea of love. And there's this idea of being responsible to life. And I think that those three notions are actually something sort of like really inherent to therapy. Like when we are engaging with therapy, we're trying to like face death. We're trying to like figure out how to love ourselves, how to love those around us. And also, how are we responsible? How are we accountable to life? How are we accountable to this world around us? And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about. Kendrick's overnight activism I think one of the ways that white people need to bring their own racism to therapy is to be able to have that space with someone who can help you parse out like is this something that I've inherently just learned since I was a child like why did I have this reaction why am I feeling defensive because if you're putting that on the black people in your life you're also causing more harm (laughs) like you know what I mean like like that's something you need to take to therapy and it's just like one of the things Baldwin says in that story is that like a civilization is not destroyed by wicked people. It's not necessary that the people be wicked, but only that they be spineless. And like, it takes work both across races, whatever that looks like, to dismantle the shit and go against the grain and like work towards an anti-racist ideology and practice. And it also from what you're telling me too, is some of your work in therapy is finding a, a, a quote spine to be able to do the work to unravel that nasty shit that you've been grown up with too yeah
1: yeah because i mean how else is going to get dealt with i don't know like history repeats itself because we as people choose time over time over time over time again to go the spineless easy well it's working for me like route right and we end up in the same place every single time. And I don't know. Every time. It's, it's just like, you think something would change. And <laughs> no, I don't want to say that. I was going to say, what's the definition of crazy? Remember that old saying?
0: Sure, sure, sure. Do something yeah. and expect different results. And yeah. but that's the American system, right? Like, yeah. and I, I think that, like, that's uh, honestly, that's a beautiful point as to, it's not just, oh my God, too many thoughts. I think at the beginning <laughs> of this podcast, you know, you. I almost said years ago. It feels like it sometimes um, we, year and a half. we were talking about stigma and we were talking about culture and you were talking about your experience and like, but there's a reason for that, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a reason for that. The mental health system was designed to other and literally create diagnosis for that, which did not support a, a thriving society. But when a thriving society only considers white people, guess what's pathologized? Guess what's demonized? Guess what's given a diagnosis when really the answer is just I'm angry because the world is racist and that anger is valid and true and Mm -hmm. necessary. And like the distrust of the mental health system is not just because Sure, there's totally cultural stuff around like what stays in the home is us, is ours, you know, like we don't right. necessarily need to tell our business. No, but there's but like, like actual, actual part of it. Such hardcore
1: proof and facts. Like, I mean, at this point, everybody and the mother should know about like Tuskegee. Um, but even beyond that, there's just a mistrust of any system in this country, like by black right. people. Like, I can't name one that has like, actually benefited like black people and honestly most people of color. So, like, You sit here and wonder why, I mean, it's not even, I'm not even going to sit here and like, I don't even want to focus just on black people. Like it truly is. I mean, racism has a negative traumatic um, impact on white people's mental health as well. And if you don't think it's having some like negative impact on your life, like look again, like your health is probably not where it's supposed to be in some way, like related to racism because everything's racist.
0: Right. And I mean, it's true, you know, and I I think that really a lot of white people's work around their anxiety, around their depression, around these other things is because there has to be a reconnection to the spirit, because I think some of our generational trauma is having to separate ourselves from what we're doing and what we mean. But like, um, uh, how do I want to say this? Uh, Think about like... um, think about uh, the fucking pilgrims or whatever like or you know the people right after that the sort of early colonists they're like writing documents about the christian church and writing documents about like the the like future of man and like what we need to do to support people and individual rights or whatever and then they're going home to slaves like that is literally like this cognitive dissonance between personhood and while i'm not saying that this person or that person just needed to go to therapy and then they wouldn't be slave owners that's not what i'm saying at all but i'm saying that generationally, you push that through a few generations, several hundred years, you have people who are disconnected from their spirit. They are—they don't know the difference between their actions and what they desire because they live in a world that tells them that America's not racist, and it is. You, you learn to distrust what's in front of you because of how we grow up. And I think that obviously, deeply, want to acknowledge that that pathology and the way that that interacts with the body and the mind is very, very different for white people than it is black people, but it's still racism negatively affecting our mental health, you know?
1: Absolutely. I'm like over here trying to dig up, (laughs) I wrote like an essay back in grad school on race and racism in the like media and entertainment space and just like negative okay. impacts it, ha- it has a negative was this in on- the class with
0: veronica yeah
1: it was actually <laughs> and i'm like oh my god i'm like going through my email it's in here somewhere i just need to like find it um if i find it y'all i don't know it's over share it. it's over <laughs> no. it's over i'm sending it to disney i don't know
0: <laughs> um Well, we are continuing this conversation. It is going to continue. We also really, 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 really want to hear from you. So DM us, uh, shoot us an email, qbtpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on the intersections of race and racism and mental health. Next week, we are joined by a beautiful, wonderful friend of the pod. um, And uh, I'm really excited to share that conversation with you. Do you want to take a break? Let's take a little baby
1: break. Yeah. And come on back. To come you ready? Let's do this. Mm-hmm.
0: Allie, I'm making noise so it shows up.
1: <laughs> okay, we're back, and Maddie just did a scream that I wasn't expecting, so I'm a little thrown off. But here we are taking meds to get us back on track. <laughs> um, hmm, I'll go first because I'm really excited about it. My meds okay. this week. Um, I just got back today. Well, not today when y'all are listening to this, but today when we're recording it uh, from San Francisco for the first time ever, I've never been to SF as I was told to call it. I wasn't supposed to say, we're not supposed to say the whole name or like half of it because then you're not a local or then you're not yeah i think you're not a local
0: i f- i feel like people say san francisco or sf but no one says san Fran.
1: <gasps> oh so maybe i was just the one
0: lame doing it
1: um anyways Every- i think
0: everyone who doesn't go says that gotcha you know?
1: you. um well i learned and i enjoyed the city i was somewhat hoping that i would not like it um but i did i liked it a lot actually i feel like people fall into two camps right like i went in I feel like for the last, whatever, five years that I've been in the Pacific Northwest, people have been like, oh, I love San Francisco. Oh, I hate SF. Like, And they all have different reasons as to why. And I'm like, I just need to go check out this place and make my own decision. And I don't know. I went into it like, I really want to like not like it. I think I want to be one of those people because i like to have an opinion
0: um but no, san francisco is beautiful it just it's great it also is literally the most expensive city in the country it's
1: stupid i know yeah for no that's, reason that's to, dumb it's
0: like it's so i stupid,
1: mean but. yeah the weather was great when i was there so i don't know it was cold last night and then when i like left this morning and i like it was like oh okay I, I get it like it's it gets cold cold here but mm-hmm. um I don't know. If it had been that the whole trip, I don't think I would have liked it as much. Instead, I was there and it was just like 80s and 90s the whole time, um, which I think was just like perfect because I also didn't bring anything that would have survived in like 50 degree <laughs> weather. Um, so that contributed a lot to it. But I don't know. I like it. The people there are cool. They seem people are nice. They like to say hi to you on the street, which I found strange. Oh, you know, it's also like a big... I mean, it's like a city. Like, it's a city-city. Like, yeah. I I have missed city-cities. Right. And it's always nice to be in one. So, I don't know. I had a good time. I feel like rejuvenated a bit. Like, I have some energy to me that I feel like I'm bringing back from San Francisco. So, yeah.
0: I'm That's glad that me. you got to finally go and experience that and hang out with our babes. And yeah. you know, I love that you had a good time. I um, also
1: um, met... Oh my God, Carlos, our our friend of the podcast, Carlos. Met his family for the first time, other than Key. (laughs) Shout out to Key.
0: Oh, what?
1: Yeah. I've known Carlos this whole time, never met his family in real life.
0: Oh, I thought you were telling me that Carlos met like his family for the first time and you were sharing (laughs) that on the podcast. I was like, I don't know if she wants you to tell that (laughs) to people girl. Okay,
1: you mentioned That's cute. Cute you I, imagine? I just yes, I could that. imagine
0: it. That's what I thought happened. <laughs> I was like, don't be spilling her shit like that, girl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my meds are that. Um, I turned down a job I didn't want. I think when you're a wow. relatively unemployed person and you're, like, getting offers and are moving forward with stuff, I... I had moved for, I had sent back an offer letter acceptance. And then I had gone through like a background check or I was starting to, and I just had slept on it for like a week. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to like this work. And I feel like I'm accepting it because I need work right now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, while people might have different opinions about this, I just, I don't think accepting work because I need to work is the place I want to be mentally, spiritually, et cetera. And I just was like, I think that this place is going to be way more draining than it gives me in money. Like it's going to, it's going to take away from me, my ability to do what I want to do, which is this other job that I have. And I was like, I just, I can't do both. And I realized that and sent that email. And I, the minute that I sent hit send, I felt this weight lift off for me that I had been experiencing like all week long. So my meds are trusting my intuition. (laughs) Honestly, go back and listen to our episode on intuition, (laughs) trusting my intuition and like, um, moving forward with the decision that maybe was hard, but I knew and feel good that I needed to make. Um, do we have homework for you? Very proud. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you
1: um homework this week is mainly for white people sorry not sorry uh people of color you get a week off if you want to take it off because equity um (laughs) so because we're gonna do or what y'all are gonna do um i just want you for like an hour sometime whenever you get done listening to this podcast and the next week's episode just choose like an hour a random hour when you're out in public um and I want you to just like bring your awareness to your actions. Um and just examine them, right? Like, and I want you to like do it for that full hour. Like if you become unaware or catch yourself like not paying attention to your actions, like um just bring your attention back to like how you're standing, like your stance, your where are your arms, what are the expressions on your face, like um how are you stand- like, yeah, how are your feet placed? Like just analyze every little thing um and i only want you to do it for an hour because like doing it all the time as somebody who does that <laughs> and belongs to a race where i have to do that uh, it's exhausting but that's the point i want you to just do it for an hour and see how it feels like see what kind of thoughts you have see how much you might want to just be like oh fuck this shit i don't want to do it like that's not something that um a lot of people of color, not even just Black people, a lot of people of color don't get to experience. Right. Um, so I just want you to do it for an hour. Like, we do it 24-7 damn near. So there's your homework. That's And good. you don't even have to journal about it. Just I just want you to, like, be aware of think it. Think about That's it.
0: it. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I just want to name that I think if you have an anxiety disorder and have been actively working with your therapist to not do this, yes. I think it is important for you to still think about the experiences when you have um, on what that feels like to have been doing it through a very different lens your entire life. And like, if you are thinking about that, or if you have made those, um, if, you ha- if you have a, a disorder or something that like sort of lends towards this activity naturally, think about it in a different way this time than necessarily being liked. I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Think about it through a racial lens of what it means to be a white person and your movements being watched. Um, I think, am I wrong, is that sort of lens that you're-
1: That is, that you hit the nail on the head.
0: Right, um, I love that. I will also do my best to think about that this week. Please share your experience doing the homework, what meds you're taking or what's making you happy and whatever the hell else you want to qbtpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail up to three minutes at 971-220-8874. You can also DM us. We really, really, really want to include um, listener experience on the series on race and racism and mental health. Um, While some listeners are actually going to be guests of ours. um, I also I feel like we get DMS and I have friends who will say like, Oh, I was thinking about writing in, but like, I didn't do it. If you're listening to this and you have something to say, write us. It doesn't have to be perfect. We aren't perfect. It doesn't fucking matter. We just want to hear from you. We love you. Um, Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for following and subscribing and all your five-star reviews. Um, You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at QBT Pod. Don't forget to subscribe and share. And thank you to Marquis and Shanti Darling for letting us use their music. Thank you to Ali Kilds for producing and editing. And thank you to Kiana and Carlos for their work on our digital footprint. Shani, um, you ready? Get the fuck out.
1: Oh, yes. I've been on a plane, then another plane, then a car, now another I'm home. Another month. Yeah, it was very another bad. Fun. Uh, my bag needs to be unpacked behind me so yeah let's get out of here I need to go do you that you unpack when you get home like immediately normally I don't but something tells me I need to do it this time because I'm going camping next weekend and if I don't okay. do it now this apartment's gonna be a mess and like I weekend.
0: get it I get it because get it. it's like you need at least like a few days of a clean apartment I get it yeah yeah okay well go clean girl I love you thanks girl bye bye <laughs> <laughs>
1: Talk slick all up in my ear and shit.